the substance. You know, the old Ark of the Covenant was simply just a shadow of what truly is. And you know, you can today, in every moment of every day, have God sitting on that Ark of the Covenant, have His rulership manifest in your life without seeing some temple built somewhere or some Ark of some covenant. We are today in the New Testament. We are standing at the place of substance. We are standing at the place of manifestation. We are standing at the place where God, the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, is bringing into this world and manifesting what is always dreamt for humanity. <laughs> Glory to God. God has come and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He brought forth what is called the firstborn from the dead which is the firstborn amongst many brethren. And these brethren will also be born into the very same manifestation of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that we don't have to seek for anything more or anything else and that we are in Jesus where we are supposed to be. Glory to God. Now, with that said, I want to go to a passage in um, Ephesians and we're going to just talk a little bit about, um, about grace here. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He starts off, and this is a famous passage, and Paul all the time in the beginning of his letters, he's got a, a very almost systematic way wherein he starts the letter. And that to me is very important. Uh, the way you start the letter, uh, to me speaks about the attitude of the person. And since he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe that the way he starts the letter also talks about God's attitude, the attitude of the Holy Spirit, the attitude of the Father, the attitude of the Son towards people. And here Paul comes, he says, I am Paul, a sent one, or a, a special messenger, or the one that carries a special message of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and I'm writing to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just say this. When he talks about the saints in Ephesus, he's talking, he's talking about uh, some believers there. I don't want to go into what saints there means. And he says, um, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you, as a church, we need to understand that faithfulness um, is... We've measured faithfulness in how faithful we go to church instead of how faithful we are to the true gospel. Faithfulness, when Paul talks about the faithful in Christ Jesus, he was talking about people that, were, that listened to what he preached when he started the church and then stuck to that doctrine and didn't get washed away by the um, by Judaism or Judaizers where people came and tried to get the church to go back to the old Jewish systems and feasts and all those kind of things um, of which circumcision was one of them. So here he says that I'm talking to people who stick to the original message, the gospel, as you've heard me preach many times, which is the message of God the resurrection message. Okay, verse 2. <clears throat> now he goes on and he says here that he's writing and he's, he's writing to the people that are faithful in Christ. Then he says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see here is that he immediately starts with a unity, a, a unity concept. He says there, there's grace, a divine influence from God, which we're going to look at what that influence is. There's a divine influence from God that can influence the hearts of people unto the manifestation of all of who and what God is in them. That's what he's saying. So he says, I've just spoken to God. I'm just using my own words. It's an absolute paraphrase. <clears throat> he says, listen guys, I am Paul. I'm writing this with a passion in my heart. I'm speaking to God and 
in my union with God, I'm writing you a letter. And what there is from God, I'm speaking to God, and what He wants me for, to tell you is that from Him, from the Father and the Son, there is a divine influence unto life towards you and peace. He says there's harmony between you and God. There's not hostility. And what I like about that passage is, he says it is not just from God the Father, but from the Father and the Son. Traditionally, we have believed that the Father is the, um, in Afrikaans we would say the Norsean, you know, he's, I don't know what the English word would be, but he's the one that is not always easily smiling and um, easily get upset and so forth, but Jesus is the friendly one. And uh, Jesus actually came to take away the anger of the Father, and therefore we are better acquainted with Jesus. We would rather be in the presence of Jesus than in the presence of God the Father, because the Father is the one that actually was carrying anger and wrath and all those kind of things, and Jesus had to end this. So now, with that in mind, and also looking at end-time judgment and so forth, I think a lot of people in today's church sit with a fear for the Father and a love for Jesus. because And then the love for Jesus is always directed towards the cross, not much to the resurrection, but to the cross, because that's the end of punishment. Because the biggest thing that we had in mind is the Father wants to punish all of humanity for the sin of one man. And that is not true. You know, the Father didn't want to punish the sin, didn't want to punish all of humanity because of the sin of one man. God wanted to deliver all of humanity from the death and weakness one man brought unto all. And there's a big difference. I want to say that again. God did not, God the Father, did not want to punish all of humanity for the disobedience of one man. That's not what He wanted to do in Jesus. What the Father wanted to do in Jesus is, as sin has multiplied unto all, for weakness unto eternal life is in all, He has come to reach the depths of the darkness of all people, so that He could save all people from the transgression and the death and the consequence of one man's disobedience that has multiplied unto all. And then it says the grace of God is of all these transgressions unto a brand new life, wherein He is greater than all of that. Amen. So we find that that is from the Father and the Son. So we don't find an inequality in heaven. It is the Father and the Son, both of them, in the Spirit of God, in the life of God, that loves us, that says grace to you, peace to you, harmony to you, an influence from God unto a brand new life, harmony between God and man, since there is the man, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God. And then we find the Father and the Son being one. Glory to God. <clears throat> now, if we look at the word grace, and we look at Paul always starting out with grace to you, grace and peace to you, grace, peace and mercy to you. What is this grace? I want to go to Colossians. Let me just go to, um, to Colossians chapter 1 and we're going to read from verse 4. This is Paul now and he is praying for people. He says here in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since when? Since we heard of your faith or faithfulness in Christ Jesus and of your love which you have to all the saints. Now, this is an amazing passage because what Paul is actually saying here is referring to <clears throat> these people in, in, in Colossae which were uh, Gentiles. And these Gentiles were now loving on the Jews. They were loving all the saints. They were loving all the believers. They didn't just love their own, but they loved even the, the Jewish believers, which is actually a, a great fruit. Because you must remember, there was a massive, what we would call an apartheid system between Jew and Gentile back then. It is still true today. The moment one nation thinks they the nation of God and others aren't, 
That's, that's an apartheid system. That is, that is separation. And that's not supposed to be so. That's what Christ has come to bring an end to. Now, these people were really have a, having a lot of hate speech towards the Gentiles. They were saying to them, you are dogs. Uh, many of them would spit on the ground when they passed by certain Gentiles. They would not even talk to them. Uh, as pertaining to the people in Samaria, they had no dealings with them because they were half-Jews. They, they, it was such a thing that was about ethnicity that Paul basically came and said, when we heard of your faith and that you now loving those who didn't love you, we started to pray for you because we saw that the gospel was really bearing fruit in you. <laughs> Glory to God. Now he says here, now, now let, let me um, read, with that in mind, we're now going to verse 5. It says that this love that you have for those that was actually against you, for all the saints, not just, not just Gentiles, but for all of them. It says this is because of the hope which was laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it does also in you, since the day you heard of it, heard of what? Heard of the word of the truth of the gospel, which is the hope for you. We're going to get into that. He says, since the day you heard of and knew the grace of God in truth. Now, what is that? <clears throat> we must remember that the Christian hope, when the Bible talks about hope, is not talking about hoping it goes better tomorrow. The Christian hope, the Bible says in Peter, is that we have been born again unto a new and lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means that since Jesus became sin, He became weak, He became without strength, He died upon the cross, and since that death was our death, and that He was now resurrected unto a body flooded with strength, strength that has no sin, that will never see corruption, seated at the right hand of God. And since we are now believing that that life is also our life, and yet we are not seeing the fullness of that life manifesting in our life, we have the hope of that life. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. And that's what it teaches. So we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of immortality. We have the hope of a life where our flesh, our physical body, will be co-glorified in the very same glory as that which God has. Hallelujah. That is the word hope. Now it says here, listen to verse 4. Since the day, you, since the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love which you have to all the saints, we pray for you. And this love that you have for all the saints is because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard in the word of the truth of the gospel. So they heard of a word of the truth of the gospel. Now what is it when we say the word of the truth of the gospel? Now, there was a gospel, a good news that was prophesied of in the Old Testament. This word of prophecy was, and it was contained in the prophets, that a Messiah will come and that he will conquer sin and death and that he would bring eternal life and that all the nations will be blessed because of this Messiah. This promise was made to Abraham and his seed, not as unto many seeds, but as unto one which is Christ and whosoever would then be in Christ. So Christ and Abraham had the very same promise, and that is that in you all the nations shall be blessed. And they will be blessed with the sure mercies of David, which the Bible describes as a resurrection life, wherein man is not living by his own ability, trying to conquer sin and death, but where God comes and where he is the master life giver of a brand new life, 
where we just rest in Him. Th that is what it is. So it says here, so that is, that is a very good news, a prophecy of something that was very good. But now it says, you have heard, you, ha you have heard before of the word of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel should be seen as that this word now of prophecy, of this resurrection life has now become true. It is now true. It's like a prophecy. You know, you have people prophesying many things today. They prophesying this is going to happen, that is going to happen. And then you will ask, when is this word becoming true? So there is very good news. We can have good news, you know. South Africa is going to be a blessed nation. That's very good news. But when you hear of the truth of this good news, meaning that this word has now come into manifestation. That is the truth of the gospel. So what he says is, you guys basically heard the truth of the fulfillment of what was prophesied, which is Jesus that died and was risen. And you believing now in this resurrection. And as you believe in this, this power of the resurrection is, and, and, and this truth of the resurrection is now bringing forth in you love for people. That's what he's saying. And he is calling this effect that the resurrection has on humans that believe in them grace. That's what he's doing. Let us read it again. <clears throat> it says in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in, he says, we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love which you have to all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So what is the hope laid up for them in heaven? It is the resurrected Jesus that went and was, is now seated at the right hand of God that will return and bring the fullness of what He is into manifestation. But it will not, it has already begun in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit that has raised Christ from the dead has now sealed us unto that resurrection. Yet that Spirit that is now in us is bearing fruit in us. And one of the things that brings forth is love. So what Paul is saying here is that the grace of God in your lives was bringing forth fruit. And that grace was the power that happens to people and that manifests in people because of the influence God has on humanity because He raised somebody from the dead and now they are believing it. That is grace. Grace is the divine influence upon our hearts through what? Through God influencing us in bringing forth a new form of humanity, which is Jesus at the right hand of God, flooded with life, flooded with holiness, flooded with glory, and He is now presenting that to us, that we can behold that as a mirror wherein we see ourselves, our own life in that life. And when we behold the life of Jesus, we are hoping for it. In other words, we've got an expectation that God will bring that forth in us. Never look at Jesus where He's seated at the right hand of the Father and try to become that. It has never been said that you should try to become like Jesus. God's promise to us is that He makes us like Jesus. It is His doing. He is the creator and He creates a new heart in you. He creates a new life in you. He brings forth peace in you. All that you do is you, you look at what He has already accomplished with the first man wherein He manifested the fullness of what He's promised and that is Jesus. And since we are in Him, all nations shall be blessed in His resurrection. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, <clears throat> um, verse 6, He says, This word of the truth has come unto you, and it is as it is in all the world, and it's bringing forth fruit as it does in you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Okay, now, before we go to uh, Hebrews 4.16, talking about the throne room of grace, let me just explain in short what grace is. 
Grace is not God's unmerited favor. Now, we can define grace as unmerited favor should we have the law as a platform wherein we say that, now, um, the Amplified Bible translates grace as unmerited favor, meaning that man <coughs> um, was guilty before God and didn't qualify for favor. Uh, he didn't qualify for any goodness from God because he was guilty and he was uh, full of sin and all those kind of things. But God came and in spite of man's guilt based on the law, he came and was still good and still gave, gave Jesus. Now, if you want to define it like that, then I can say it is a definition of grace. And, but why use a, a wrong foundation to define if we can use the correct foundation? The word grace in the Greek simply means that which can afford or which is rich enough to bring forth all forms of holiness and righteousness, including immortality, inside someone. It is the divine influence of God on the heart of people. In other words, it's something God has done that can change what you believe. That's what it is. And that is so powerful that it then manifests a new life in you, free from your obedience to the law. Now that is amazing. So the grace of God is actually the new thing God brings forth by His Spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done. That is it. So you would find a throne room of grace. Come to the throne of grace. So what is this throne of grace? What is this mercy of God? I would go, I would first like to go to um, John 20. John 20. <clears throat> so grace is, uh, let me just say it this way. Grace is the influence that the resurrection has on humanity. That is grace. That would be a very good definition. It is the influence unto the life of God that is there because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because when Jesus was raised, we could believe something new. Our hearts was now influenced unto a new belief through which the truth of this resurrection, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is now working in us, manifesting the very thing we are beholding. So grace is the influence God has on people through or because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it is. And that's what he says here in uh, Colossians chapter 4. And that is what I'm trying to say there. He says, since the day you heard of the resurrection, that message of the resurrection was bearing forth fruit in you. And then Paul defines it in Colossians as grace. Amen. Now this is a grace church. That's it. So what are you going to hear? You're going to hear the message of the resurrection. You're not going to hear the law. You're not going to hear a message of condemnation. You're going to hear the message of God's love and grace and how He has come to save man and give them life and bring forth peace by the doing of God. One thing we need to understand, I know I repeat myself on Sundays when I say this, but I want you to understand this. And that is that the Jewish people believed there were different uh, uh, groups one thing I need to say is, when we say the Jews believed, we need to be very careful. Because those Jews are so divided against one another that you don't know what the Jews believed. If you <laughs> I tell you, there were so many sects, so many different divisions, so many rabbis were their disciples. And each one had his own opinion. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And amongst Amongst them, you would find a, a, a division about the resurrection. Some believe that there is not even a thing like a spirit, but they were Jews. And they were the people that were actually the rich folk that was really uh, uh, running the temple and all of those, those Sadducees. And they loved to be friends with Rome. That is what happens. And then you found the Pharisees, and they were like almost like kind of very zealous or... They weren't zealots, 
but in a certain way they were because they believed that if we don't obey the law right, then the Messiah will not come. And sadly, there are people that are still believing that that call themselves Christians. They are saying, unless the third temple is built and all those things happen, then the Messiah cannot come. So we have to do all those things in order for the Messiah to come. And then what they did was they were very zealous. They were by force and fear getting people to live right according to the law so that the Messiah could come. But then the Messiah came without obedience to laws. And there were all these different things, you know, about the, 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 the Jews and where they were, I mean, they were so divided against one another. Now, when we go to Colossians and we talk about the grace of God and we look about the Jewish way of lo looking at the resurrection, there were so many different ways. And Jesus Christ came and he brought forth a grace wherein they, which was greater than the Jewish way of looking at things. The Jewish way of looking at things was there's a law and this law is called the way unto life. And the law was ordained according to them as unto life. But then Paul says, I found that the law which was ordained unto life could not give me life because of my own weakness. Then Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the way, and I am the life. And he came and declared that he is the way, that he is the way unto life and not the law. So when we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we come to a place where we see that the law promised eternal life, but through our weakness, we could not live. But now Jesus Christ came and he gives us eternal life as a free gift. He's conquered the weakness in our flesh without us even having the law as Gentiles. And without the Jews ever obeying the law, because they were just breaking the thing all the time. There was not one righteous, no, not one. Their mouths was an open grave. Meaning that what they were teaching when they were teaching the laws is, it's an open grave. It is an invitation to death. <laughs> that is what Paul said. Radical Paul. We know why, it's got, why it was beaten so much. Because he said it as it is, and he was unashamed. And the same zeal he had for the law he had now in grace. So I want to say to you that we need to understand that when we come to the throne of grace, we find no need for the law anymore. There's no need for it. There's no need for any form of law. It is all found in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Okay, <clears throat> now when we look at John 20, the point that I wanted to make there is that when we get to grace and we find the message of the resurrection and we believe in this resurrection, the effect that comes, the power that comes from this truth in us is called experiential grace because it brings forth a life born from what God has done in bringing forth and a, a whole atmosphere of grace in raising Jesus from the dead. So when we go boldly to the throne of grace, what are we going to? We're going to the very place where we're now seeing the resurrected Jesus. That's where we're going to. And that's what we're going to read now in John chapter 20, verse 11. I'm here in Luke. Let me just get to John. It talks about Mary that went to the grave. Now, before I get to that, let me just tell you something about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when we talk about the throne of God, the throne of God is the very place where God is seated. Where is God seated? When we look at the old and we look at the type and the shadow of the Ark of the Covenant, um, so we've, we get a true Ark of the Covenant. We, we get the true one. 
and then we get the type and the shadow of that true one. And the type and the shadow of the true one is that golden box that got lost. On that golden box was a, inside it was certain things and then, then there was a lid called the mercy seat and next to the mercy seat was two angels, two cherubs. And these angels or cherubs were, their wings covered this mercy seat and then the Bible says, and then God would come down, the very presence of God, and God would basically appear between those two angels on the mercy seat. Okay? And on that mercy seat, and that is where the high priest would then communicate with God. So the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant was a seat of mercy. So God's throne is, a, the seat is a seat of mercy. Mercy means to help. Grace is to influence unto life. That's what it is. So now we're going to look at the true mercy seat, not the type and the shadow. We're now going to look at the true mercy seat and how the true mercy seat looks. This is verse 11. It says, But Mary stood without the grave weeping, and she wept and stooped down and looked into the grave. Now this was Mary. She came, she spoke to the gardener. She says, Where have you laid Jesus? I will go and get him and all those kind of things. Then, um, and then she basically turned away and, and, you know, she was just crying. And then she was standing outside the grave and then she was looking into the grave. This is what it says. And Mary stood without the grave weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the grave and saw two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the one at the other feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Okay, so what are you seeing here? You're seeing, <laughs> this is beautiful. You see the most holy place. Then you see the veil torn, the, 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 the stone rolled away. And you're looking in there. And now what do you see? You're seeing the mercy seat. You're seeing the two angels, one at each side, and you find nobody there. No dead body. Why? Because he was risen. And what that means is the throne of the throne room of grace and the very mercy seat of God is the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> I tell you, that is outstanding good news. So why would we want to head for the shadow, if you can hear the voice of the resurrection, the message that Jesus was raised from the dead, which in the Bible is also called the gospel of God. The good news of God is that He, through the prophets, God had a word which was from the beginning. That word from the beginning is, I am eternal life and I will bring you eternal life. It was prophesied from the beginning. And when that word became true in our sins and he's conquered our sin and conquered our death, it was the truth of the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me tell you something. The throne from where God reigns and rules over sin in your life and over death in your life is the revelation in your heart that he has, that Jesus was risen. That's what it is. That is what it is. And I tell you now, we need to take that, meditate on that, ponder on that, think on that, open our heart towards this. This morning I said um, in our church in Durbanville, I said to the folk, listen, I'm not saying you must now go and use all your effort and study scripture. Because if you're now going to say, well, Bertie said I must go and study scripture, you're going to read it for a day and then you're going to get tired after three days and then you're going to feel very guilty after five days because you haven't read enough. All I'm saying is, if you don't have a passion for the scriptures, if you don't have a passion to read your Bible, if you don't have a passion to study, don't feel guilty about that. Just say to God, God, you are the creator. Create this in me that it will happen because of your doing in me and not me by will, willpower decision doing this. I'm not reading my Bible because I feel I must. I can't stop. And I'm not saying that makes me even holy because, you know, I used to read this Bible so much and I understood basically nothing. 
What makes us holy is the blood of Jesus and His resurrection. That is what makes us holy. What brings forth a new life is as we believe in this truth, the Spirit manifests what we believe in. And He brings us unto that. That is what it is. So I want to say to you, as I put these things together, and as we look at the resurrection, as we look at this revelation of, of, of what the true Ark of the Covenant is, is the resurrection. Some will say, oh, the true Ark of the Covenant, Bertie is saying it is Jesus' grave. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that grave there is the Ark of the Covenant. What I'm saying is, is that the resurrection, the, the seat of mercy that God sits on, He is ruling from the resurrection life in Jesus over sin and death in people's lives. And that is how He conquers sin and death in your life. And the way He's got access to you to manifest it in you is by you believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus. The Word was made flesh. Today we still think the Word is a spirit. No. The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And then this Jesus, this Word of the resurrection, he, that became a human, He went through a physical death and then He had a physical resurrection so that from this truth of a physical new glorified body that does have a connection to the old because the old body wasn't in the grave anymore after the resurrection, that He now rules and can take from the old into the new us who believe in the physical resurrection of the dead. But how important is the resurrection? You know how important is the resurrection? If you don't believe in it, you cannot be saved. The Bible says, he who believes, Romans 10. Let's read Romans 10. Let's read Romans 10. Then we'll get back to John here again. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I tell you, this message brings a boldness in me. Because I know <laughs> it is not just that I'm happy about the message, but I'm also having the life of the grace of God. And the grace is bearing forth fruit in me. Since the day I heard and knew the resurrection, since I heard of the resurrection, and I then heard that it is now true, it has happened and manifested. And as I believed upon that, it's bringing forth fruit in me. <laughs> Hallelujah. It takes away all fear. It takes away fear of death. It takes away fear of what man can do to me or say about me. Glory to God. What did I say? Romans 10. Listen to this. But what says it? The word is nigh unto you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. So what is the word of faith? It is the word of faithfulness, the faithfulness of God towards us, and also the word wherein we now are, have faith that Jesus was raised from the dead. What is this word of faith? This is that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, now that actually means if you can confess that Jesus lords it over sin and death, and that He is above presidents, that He is above religion, that He's above all those things, is above all power and principality. If you can say, He is the Lord, that I don't need, He's even Lord over poverty. He is Lord over struggling. That we don't need principles like tithing and sowing and reaping to prosper. He's even Lord over money. Many struggle to confess Him as Lord over money. Here it says in verse 8, it says, But watch, what say, the word is nigh unto you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Hallelujah! Saved from what? From death. No, Bertie, can that be? Well, let's read it. We go to Hebrews 4. <laughs> let's read verse 7 and we find a definition for salvation here and this talks about Jesus it says in verse 7 talking about Jesus who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up 
prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him. From what? From death, it's written here. And he was hurt in that he feared. So what he says here, that Jesus, when he was in weak flesh and he was on the earth, he was crying to the Father that the Father would save him from death. So the salvation message is not, uh, the salvation message is a message that God has come to save his people from their sins and death. That gives us the freedom to say that it is not for you to repent from your sins or to try and stop your sins, but it is for God to save you from your sins. And what we do is we cry to God to save us from it instead of trying to use willpower to do good so that God can save us from hell. We've had a wrong definition of what true salvation is. I don't want to teach on hell today. Uh, one day we can do that. I want to teach now, and, and I'm not saying there is no hell. Some will say, oh, to say this, there is no hell. No, I do believe that there is a hell. What I'm saying is, is we have defined salvation as salvation from a place called hell instead of salvation from sin and death. And then we said that we need to try and conquer sin by living holy so that we will not go to hell. Where that is not the gospel. The good news is that Jesus, from the throne of grace, where he's seated on mercy, which is the resurrected Jesus, wherein he is merciful towards man in bringing an influential power called grace that he can help you in the time of need. And the context there is the time of need would be the day of the resurrection, where you can be raised up and receive the salvation, which is the salvation of your soul or your life, where you will then have immortal or eternal life, but your life will not uh, uh, be destroyed. That is what it is all about. So, okay. Now, um, when we look at salvation there, if you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then God can save you from sin and death. Hebrews 4. Let's go to verse... I've got another 10 minutes. So... <clears throat> Hebrews 4, let's go from verse 11. It says, Let us labor therefore to enter into the rest, lest any man fall off the same example of unbelief. So what he's saying here, he's actually saying, and I'm using my own words, and don't have time to explain it, he says, continue to believe in the resurrection and what it means. That's what he's saying. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What is this word of God? It's the message of the resurrection. That is the word of God. What is the word that went forth after Jesus was raised? Is the word, the message, the gospel, the good news that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And then people believed this and they were witnesses unto this. And then it says, For this word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul, spirit and joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Now, I've got a teaching on that passage and I'm just going to paraphrase to you what it actually means in the original. What he's saying is, he says, continue to believe that Jesus was the, is the resurrected one and continue to have the profession and the hope that he will bring forth that in you and don't go back to Judaism and the old law so that that can come forth by your own doing and works. Don't mix Jewish system with, a, with grace. That is what he's saying. And he says, for the word of God... In other words, the message of God, this resurrection message, is quick. That word quick doesn't mean fast. I remember, I don't know why, with my bad English, when I was in school, when I read that, I said the word is quick and powerful. Man, I, I would say the word goes like this. <laughs> no, that word quick means alive. The word is flooded with life and it has got power and it is sharper than a two-edged sword and it reaches into the deepest parts, dividing asunder, meaning in the Greek, distributing life. Distributing life to the soul and to the spirit and to the joint and the marrow and is a discerner or a giver of the new thoughts and intents of your heart. So what he's saying is stick to the gospel of 
grace, which is the influential power of the resurrection unto a new life by the doing of God. For that message of the resurrection is flooded with life and it will distribute to every part of you fullness of life. You don't need to do anything else. And don't be like the Jews who fell away from the manna and was bitten by the snakes. Don't do that. Continue in your faith. What is the faith? The belief, the faithfulness of God towards man when the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Now, I don't have time to go to chapter 4. Man, I've got so much that I want to say here, but I want to just go to Hebrews 13. We read it last week, and we're going to just go into it right again. Ah, not Hebrew, Acts 13. Acts 13. Listen to this, and I'm going to just prove to you from the Scriptures um, this word of God. <clears throat> I'm going to read from verse 27. This is Paul now teaching on, on the resurrection and bringing the gospel. He's saying, For they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, um, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. So it says, that the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, they fulfilled the prophetic word that Jesus would be crucified. And, they, um, and though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a grave. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, which are his witnesses, which are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings. What is glad tidings? It's the word gospel. It's the, it's, we've got a, a good word to you. We've got glad tidings towards you. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised Jesus again. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, we've got a message to you. God had a word from the beginning. His word from the beginning was the word of life. Then, now we've got, then the Father raised Jesus. And there were people that saw Jesus. They walked with him to Jerusalem. They were with him. They are witnesses unto all people now that they actually saw Jesus raised from the dead. And now we, I, Paul, declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised Christ from the dead, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. Now it goes to verse 38. I mean, I just wish I could just go through all of this. It says, But I know, but I be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the deliverance of sins. And by this resurrected Jesus, all that believe are justified or set free from all things from which you could not be justified or set free from the law of Moses. So what is he saying? He's saying, guys, I'm going to tell you, Jesus was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, it was a promise that God gave to our forefathers through the prophets. And he has now fulfilled that. And that word was that in Abraham and his seed, Jesus all the nations will be blessed. What will we be blessed with? We will be blessed with a free life, free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from the power of sin and its enslavement and the fear of death and death itself. We will be blessed with that through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now it is preached that whatsoever you wanted to attain unto by trying to keep the law to get some form of breakthrough or freedom, what the law could not do, God did in condemning sin in the flesh. You know, our God, you know that if you use slang, 
you will say, you know, when somebody's, uh, Chuck Norris, I mean, Chuck Norris is real bad, man. He is real bad. I mean, he's powerful. There's nobody as bad as Chuck Norris. Now, you can find kids, the one telling the other one, you know how bad my dad is. My, man, my dad is so bad, he can pick up 400 pounds. Another one would say, man, my dad is so bad, he is he's so actually powerful that he can, man, he can slap Chuck Norris around. And then I can go and say, you know, my dad, Father God, he's so bad, he kills death. <laughs> he condemn, condemns sin in the flesh. <laughs> I want to see what man can condemn sin in the flesh that can kill the witness of man unto eternal life and grant them immortality in the equality of God. There is no man. There's only one, Jesus. God our Father raising up Jesus and giving us eternal life through Him. Glory to God. Well, it feels to me as I've just started the message, but we've come to the end of this message. I want to tell you that God loves you. Ask the Lord, say, Lord, show me the revelation. Show me the power of, his, of your resurrection. And I can have life from that by your doing. Go boldly to the throne room of grace. See God seated on the, on the seat of mercy, which is the resurrected Jesus from where he rules. Amen. Go to the throne of grace. Don't go to any other place. Just go to the throne of grace. Amen. The message, the place of the resurrection. Glory to God. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much that I can stretch forth my hands to people that are watching. That I can declare that you are Lord. And that you rule and reign through all their pain, or over all their pain, over all their sickness and disease and everything that is bad. Thank you, Lord, that we can see you high and lifted up. Above sin, above death. Thank you, Lord, that we can see the truth of the resurrection and see your covenant that you've made, wherein you have conquered death and give us life. Thank you for the glad tidings of the resurrection that we can preach today. And thank you for empowering us to preach this always. Amen. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you share this with